Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. All right. So the last Monday afternoon mix uh, went overtime and we got into this discussion and it was so wonderful that we decided we would extend and continue our discussion with Pablo Cachon. And we're so glad that David and Pablo were able to stay in Rosie. And here we are. We still have more uh, territory to cover and we're glad to do it. We started talking about evangelizing the Latino community and how we best uh, share the gospel. And Pablo was uh, so wise in saying, keep it simple. Pray for someone you want to share Christ with. Open the door to friendship. Um, Show some hospitality. Pretty simple stuff. And uh, then we got into discussion after the episode ended. And I thought, no, there's more to talk about. So David, Rosie, Pablo, welcome back. So Thank good you. to be back. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, that's a great uh, statement and even segue into this because, you know, we have Pablo who's here from California. This is where he grew up and he lives in Minnesota. He's lived here for nine years. And one of the first things we talk about is the whole, so what's it like going to winter? You know, yeah. now it's cold. <laughs> yeah. And we're about to go into winter here in a couple months. And one of the well-known things that happens in winter is the discussion of Advent where we actually discuss our Lord Jesus Christ and him putting on flesh, getting proximal to us and in the incarnation. And so, you know, in Matthew, it talks about how, you know, Jesus comes and, you know, we remember the, the, the story in the account that, you know, uh, Joseph and Mary, they were basically migrating. You know, they had to leave the land. They had to literally be refugees. Uh, and, and, and first of all, they started as being, um, you know, having to go give the census. So they had literally had to travel. Uh, there they gave a birth to Jesus in Bethlehem, but there was no place to stay in the inn. You know, so we just read that naturally, but we, what we're also saying is that there wasn't hospitality. Mm. They, they didn't experience hospitality. And then when, you know, the Herod wanted to have him killed, then they had to, to migrate to Egypt and they had to, to flee. And so the reality is the core person to the centrality of our faith is Jesus Christ. And this is part of his story. And so, you know, Pablo, would you see see similar um, correlations today? Absolutely. Uh, For all evangelical, Bible-centered evangelicals, uh, we have a promise. The glorious return of our king that is going to set off so many events. But until that happens, we find ourselves as pilgrims in this world. We're also on a, on, a, on a journey. We're also in movement towards a promised land, just very similar to the Hebrew people of old. And so there's that component to it. Then you start thinking about the political, the economical, the, just the ethnic uh, uh, nuances of what migration really represents. And we're a moving people. And we serve a moving God who's at work at all times, in all places, he's omnipresent. 
changing lives, uh, transforming people with his message. And those people are now, as most missiologists would say, uh, you know, it was third world countries will now were also experience an influx of immigrants coming to the United States in over 2 million people in this last year have come now from not just Mexico or Latin America, from all parts of the world. And so this is presenting us with specific needs. Uh, it could be economic needs, language needs. It could be, um, and, and I'll, I'll say this, at least from a Latino background, a lot of the people, when I think of people in Venezuela who can't even sustain themselves because of repressive government um, um, mandates or, or communism, as some might say, people are looking for sustainability of their homes, safety, to be able to provide some meal for their kids. And that's all fueling all of this movement in greater numbers that we're witnessing. Yeah, and I mean, like, this is, you know... Really interesting because uh, even being in the Midwest, a number of people migrated for a better experience, a better life for their families. We're seeing this with Afghan refugees. We're seeing this now with Ukraine. Um, And in an interesting way, in Acts chapter 18, you see uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They literally get kicked out of Rome by Claudius the emperor. So the actual government official punts them out because he expelled all the Jews. And it would go on to say that in the next verse that Priscilla and Aquila happened to meet Paul in Corinth and from that began to do this incredible missionary journey that leads them to Ephesus. And then Apollos comes from North Africa and is actually discipled by Priscilla and Aquila who, due to Roman government, gets punted out. And out of this would come the book of Ephesians and, you know, his work there. So even the things when we talk about for grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of works that no man should boast. Part of that happened due to the migration of people. Yes. So when I think about uh, migration, I think about discipleship because that's my primary uh, calling is to go out and make disciples. Early on, when I moved to Minnesota, I was asked and pressed Pastor, what do you think about the border crisis? Uh, it wasn't a crisis as we would call it today, but there was an issue of migration and immigrants coming from the southern border. And then Donald Trump and all of that just fueled a, a, a tense conversation. But I believe the individual had been asking me for a political view. I, he asked me about three times, about the fourth time he asked me, he wanted and pressed me for my political views. And I kept on responding, it's all about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. That's it. And I consider myself as the Apostle Paul, a bondservant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my view. That's my point. The brother got so red. I'm going to speed this up. About five years later, the person approached me again and said, please forgive me. I now understand what you were telling me. Mm. And, and, and again, because this issue of migration, immigration, inequality, discrimination, gender issues, all of this tends to silo us in some type of uh, maybe political view. Or, But we're supposed to have a biblical worldview. That's it. I'm not my, my, my donkey or Republican identities are, are moved to the side, and it's now a Christ newness identity. Of the, of, of the gospel. And I think that when we're able to remove that, then we can practice what the author of Hebrews would tell us in chapter 13. Practice hospitality to the stranger. 
Well, who's the stranger? I remember that, that, that sharp young lawyer that asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And I think that your neighbor is the next person you come in contact with, regardless of their social status or their gender. Mm-hmm. Nice job. That's very well spoken. And I even think of Elimelech and Naomi uh, fleeing to Moab with desperation because of starvation mm-hmm. and taking their two sons and what happened there. Yeah. Um, mm. And you wonder who showed them kindness. Absolutely. Who, who showed them hospitality. I think that's lost in our world. I think it is too. Yeah. It, it's, it's, um, so I, a quick story. Um, my wife was walking into a store and I've always raised my sons to open the door for their mother. And not just their mother, but just in general, be generous, be kind, be hospitable. Yeah. Chivalry is not dead. Yeah, and yeah. so, 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 you know, they were walking. And then this lady, this older lady, uh, complimented my wife by saying, "Oh, you taught them very well." And my wife turned around and said, "No, no, no, ma'am. My husband, their father, taught them how to be respectful and and hospitable." Yeah, again, beautiful. It is beautiful, and you know, again, on you know Monday afternoon mix, we're committed to discipleship. We're committed to God's word. You know, and you were talking earlier about um, Naomi and Ruth. And it's like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, then it's like you read, you come to the very end of the book of Ruth, and it says, now these are the generation of Paris. Paris father, Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram followed Aminadad. Aminadad followed Nashon. Nashon followed Salmon. Salmon followed Boaz. Boaz followed Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse followed David. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you go. the reminder, even in showing hospitality, is that you never know no. the life that you are touching and the life that it will touch and so on and so on. You know, and that that is this very, very just powerful reminder of just incarnating and living Jesus wherever we go. And truly, I mean, like what an opportunity when people are coming because they don't know, they are searching, they are, they need help, you know, they need assistance, just like any one of us that's in a new place. Mm-hmm. And so simply loving people and taking an opportunity to do what Jesus said in Mark uh, ten forty five: for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So service. One, one thing, and for sure, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that, but the, the striking thing about Naomi was when they returned and the people were celebrating and recognized her, what did she tell the people not, not to call her? Don't call me Naomi. Yeah, call me Mara. Call me I'm, Mara. Because I'm bitter. Because, yeah. because, and then she says it, Yahweh or the Lord has afflicted me. Mm-hmm. Right? That That's how many people stop being hospitable because they're hurt. Great they've point. Been, they've, been, they've been injured. Wow. They're scarred. They're, they're, they're disappointed, right? It's maybe with the institutional church. Okay, I get it. But you know what? God is still there. And he still desires to use our life amidst the pain for his glory and honor. Mm-hmm. That's a word. That's a good thought. That is a good thought. That's yeah. a good word. You wonder how many people are at a place of feeling stuck when it comes to offering hospitality because of their own woundedness. How about being fearful? To lose their privilege, how about what does being that mean? Fair? Yeah, well, uh, it could be losing power, losing prestige by those who are new. 
I mean, all of that plays in the background of of tensions and cultural, uh, uh, we call that security, if you will, um, by minorities moving in, perhaps. Yeah, and we're we're this world wants to teach us to fear one another. You know, I had heard um, someone say that another country, their leader said. If you can keep the people divided and uninformed, they're easier to control. Yeah. You know, and so like us loving, I mean, that's how the disciples loved. And that's where you took this small group of people who wouldn't really get hired at any of the places of our appointment today, except for Judas. And then less than 300 years, they overturned the entire Roman Empire, Mm. you know, because of the love and the service that they had for one another and making room for others. Mm-hmm. Pablo Kachan is our guest. We uh, extended the Monday afternoon mix just because when we got done, we thought, oh, there's so much more to talk about. And if you uh, have uh, missed any of the previous half hour, I highly recommend you going and hearing all of that because there will be subcontinuity to the last half hour and this half hour uh, if you just joined us. Uh, but we are going to continue our discussion with him and uh, we are going to continue to uh, talk about the gospel in a in a very um, divided world right now. And some of the racial tensions that we all feel are difficult and challenging. And as believers, we have to figure out a way to better navigate our way through that. So we're going to take a little break when we come back. Uh, more of the extended version of the Monday afternoon mix. We will be right back. Back to the Monday afternoon mix extended version. We are uh, so glad to still have uh, Pablo Cuchon as our guest. We started a little bit uh, in the previous half hour, and then we continued on because it was so good. So, Pablo, um, first of all, what uh, what is your middle name? I don't have a middle name. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, okay. True story. Okay. My birth certificate, my parents didn't understand English. Okay. So I guess they put my middle name as Vela, which is literally candle. So that's, that would be a middle name. And it didn't, it wasn't changed until I took out my license here in the state of Minnesota. So you don't have a middle name on your license? No, I do have a middle name. Oh, you do? It, it was put in there. Oh. But my parents made a mistake on my birth certificate and they put my mom's maiden name as <laughs> As my middle name, so that's yeah. a little secret there. Now the whole world. Now the whole world. Knows. Knows. Yeah. <laughs> so I was gonna, I was gonna start a GoFundMe account so yeah. we could raise money to get you a middle name. But if you have one, I'm not gonna do it. Well, I don't know. That's a matter of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know as we talk about race and and uh, obviously that brings up tension for a lot of people and misunderstandings and anxiety. I would love for you to just encourage everyone um, with a word. Yeah, as I, as I, again, um, multi-ethnic ministry is chaotic. It's hard work. I mean, we, David and I, we, we've lived this and we've seen how our own senior pastor has had to pay the price 
the 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 heaviness of the burden has been real. Um, so I think in that whole mindset, at times we we tend to check out. We tend to want to throw in the towel. This isn't worth it. Whatever, maybe fear, whatever it may be. And I think there's a a, a, a this clarion call that that just sounds through time and space that the Galatian believers were being told at the end. Amidst whatever that heresy was that was trying to destroy the church there, whether, whether it be, you know, Judaism or whatever it was, Paul would say, you know what? Don't worry of doing good. I think that, again, is a constant reminder of not just the Word of God speaking to us, the Spirit of the Lord speaking to the church in the modern-day times, don't get, don't throw in the towel. Stand and fight the good fight of faith. What, what Paul told his protege, his young apprentice, you know, before at the end of his tenure of life, hey, fight the good fight. You know, be careful, be diligent, be, be, be busy about what's been entrusted to you. Friends, we've been entrusted with the gospel of life, the gospel of hope, the good news of Jesus. That's the news the people need to hear, not my denomination or my church or my flag. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. That is an outstanding word. And I agree 100%, as does David, as does Rosie. We're all shaking our head. Yes. And it's a great reminder that we have been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ to take it um, to the ends of the earth. Yes. And that cosmic vision of the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Revelation chapter 7. Again, that, that, that multidimensional, um, doxology that those, the, the, the angels, the elders were praising God and then the multitude that came out of this great persecution. And then in, 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 in chapter, in verses, uh, 13 and on, the angels, the elders, they all joined in this doxology. Praise and honor and salvation belong to our God and to the Lamb. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. a beautiful song! Yeah, yeah. and and you know um, that picture of Revelation like seven nine. It's even earlier in five nine. So when it talks about uh, tribe, language, people, nation, there's like seven different times where that is used in Scripture. Um, but what's interesting in verse five nine is for you were slain and by your blood. You ransomed. And so this is not a sociological thing. This is, it's the blood of Christ, which is no small thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that Jesus shed it. And like in the Lord's prayer, he said, on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, like we worship now, we will worship more fully uh, when we get to see him for who he is, you know, as it says in First John. And so, you know, we are just perfectly imperfect people that God loves so much, and he's giving us the opportunity uh, to encourage, to bring along, to walk with others. And and matter of fact, one of the big things, you know, Pablo, you might remember this when in greeting our Latino community for life groups, one of the things, first things I say to him is, thank you so much, because our gospel would be so impoverished without you. Mm-hmm. Our gospel would be so impoverished. Our gospel would be so impoverished without God's work through all of us. And that's the wonder of the gospel, that he filters through all people, language, tribes, and nations to give glory for himself and and leads to our good that leads to the furtherance of his glory. Yeah, Pablo, I'd love for you to 
talk a little bit about your life group. What, what does that look like? How do people gather? Um, sounds like you've been came to Minnesota partly to help get that going here at New yeah. Hope. I'd love it, to hear more about that. So at New Hope, and, and David would know this because he picked up the, the, the banner for it, but we have three C's. We celebrate Christ, we connect with people, and we contribute to our world. That's it. Uh, those would be the perimeters of what we give our people. They're all founded and grounded on Scripture. But you allow people to navigate within that as perimeters. And so we don't get involved in scripting and telling people how to do it. We give them the biblical principles and release them and empower them to go do it. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful image of even New Testament church. They met in homes. What did they do? They praised. They worship, And as we Latinos say, they ate. A fiesta. (laughs) They had food. I'm sure they they sung songs. And yeah, all of that was there. And God used all of that to really, you know, just exemplify and just put it in meat. What Jesus had said, you know, by this, the world that will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. Mm -hmm. Right. We get back to love, hospitality and just real those dynamics of Mm -hmm. what we should be doing. Yeah. I've always thought that the Latino community has has almost an advantage when it comes to family love and support and mm-hmm. gatherings. And maybe it's just the way you guys do it that is so engaging and intriguing. Yeah. So don't let the noise fool you. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be all love, huh? Well, you know what? It, it's sometimes, unfortunately, it's kind of this uh, paradox. Okay. What might seem to be isn't necessarily depth a lot of it is just superficial Mm -hmm. but when you dig deeper and you dive deeper then you start getting authentic and similar to life groups yeah you know it's when we it's those little encounters after the the group is done when that couple is sitting behind and lingering because they need to talk to somebody yeah yeah the gift of loitering i always think that's really a smart gift to have (laughs) where you just hang and wait for that next conversation. Yeah. You don't race out because you notice there's a couple behind that may may need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a listening ear. Exactly. So, uh, Pablo, are you, um, uh, did you grow up speaking Spanish? Spanish is my second language. Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, English I'm, is my primary. Yeah. I, can, I speak nine languages. So if you want to ask me a question in Spanish, I can answer it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. ¿Cuántos años tiene? Oh, maybe I don't, maybe I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save it for another occasion. Yeah, me and, Rose, me and Rosie were watching that saying, yeah, you know, we're just going to, we'll pass that. Yeah. Molly well, anyway, you. it was really, really nice to meet you. And it, I love what God's doing in your life. And I love the ministry that God's put in your way and given you to do. And um, I'm very encouraged. And again, it's always nice to be reminded of let's keep it simple. Let's pray as to who we want to reach. Let's show the love of Jesus with people. Let's extend friendship, hospitality. Let's keep it simple. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. Pablo Cachon, nice to have you here. David Miles, thanks for introducing me to your friend. Absolutely. That's been great. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Hello and welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. If you ever go to the bookstore and you look at leadership books, you're going to find a lot of them. Do you ever find a, a book on being a follower? I didn't think so. I'm going to have a wonderful conversation today with Dr. Joanne Jung. She's written a book called The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. Now, we're not bashing leadership at all. We love it. But she's and her um, Richard Langer, who wrote the book, co-wrote the book with her, got a lot to say on this topic. We're going to hear about it today. Joanne, welcome back. Thank you, Bill, and thank you once again for having me here. Oh, it's it's uh, my honor. Trust me. Um, congratulations on this book. I love the idea. I love that that there is a book on the call to follow because Jesus said, follow me. Yes. And that's not a popular thing. Very few people want to say, hey, I'm a follower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, I would agree with you, and uh, I think that's why... As Rick and I addressed uh, writing this book, we thought, oh, you know, this is a risky business because no one wants to be known as a follower and everyone wants to be known as a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, tell the listeners about how this whole thing started. I have a feeling it was in a hallway somewhere. <laughs> yes. Uh, both Rick and I work at Biola University and we work in the same building. His office is on the third floor and mine is on the second and I have oftentimes called these uh, encounters with my colleagues as theological jam sessions, mm-hmm. times that we meet in the hallway, um, hallways and times that we meet in, in, in each other's offices. And we just talk theology. We just talk Bible. We talk about, about the church. And, um, and it stemmed from these kinds of conversations where we were talking about leadership and just, oh, there's so much, and Bill, you alluded to this, uh, so much out there on leadership, conferences, blogs, webcasts, web, you know, web posts and um, books, uh, magazines, articles. Um, so we thought, you know, it, it goes countercultural, countercurrent culture uh, to talk about followership. Uh, dare we do this? And we just really sense the Lord's, um, compelling us to do this, to take that risk and to be a bit countercultural. So, uh, it's by his leading. Yeah. Well, Joanne, we are bombarded with messages. Uh, we see them in advertisements. We see them everywhere where you hear slogans like follow no one or I am a leader. And <laughs> we, we seem to say that everyone should be a leader and that's a giftedness that doesn't come to everybody. You are absolutely correct. You know, I, I, I had to chuckle when I came across the, you'd made mention of I am a leader when I found that on uh, a couple of years ago now on a, on Girl Scout cookies that were stamped <laughs> with these, these little mantras, little sayings like I am a leader. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm wondering if you eat these cookies, will you then become a leader? <laughs> and that sometimes we think that this leadership, um, aspect or this uh role is dormant and that's what i i I sense um many people think that it's just a a gift that is dormant and i need to exercise exercise it in order for it to come out and for me to be able to employ it Uh, and then of course i would be very useful in god's kingdom if i were a a leader Uh, we see that in um, the marketplace right um you 
you get promoted and you're, you're striving for that leadership role and position and responsibilities and those responsibilities. Um, and with it, of course, comes the, the accolades, right, of being a leader. So, yeah, we get bombarded with those kinds of messages, uh, both inside and outside the church. Mm-hmm. And, Joanne, jobs will never get done if everybody wants to delegate. <laughs> Correct. Um, I, I mean, if you've been a, a business <laughs> owner and you've been, a, let's say, a leader in a business and you've been an employee, which would make maybe you a follower, um, I'm pretty sure that if you have been a follower, you're going to be a much better leader someday or a better asset to whoever you're working for. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I believe that even as an employer, it is critical that we remain good, faithful followers. Uh, we can move in and out of leadership roles and responsibilities, but we never move out from being uh, a follower, a disciple of Christ. And I, I would add to follow well. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that those are some of the aspects that we unpack in the book. How do we follow well? Not just to be a, a follower, uh, but how do we follow well? That is such a great, great point, and I want to hear more about that. My guest is Dr. Joanne Jung. Her book is The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. And yes, we are. How do we become better followers, Joanne? Uh, well, I'm going to skip a couple of thoughts to get to that okay. uh, question. Um, how do we become better followers? Well, when Jesus says that you know we are to follow, first of all, um, it was an interesting aspect that Rick and I talked about. And I said, hey, Rick, you know, I've come across this passage in Scripture uh, where Jesus says, um, I only do what I see my Father doing, or whatever I speak, um, it's from the Father. And I thought, you know, that's follower language right, right there. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, if Jesus is a follower, how could we not consider ourselves followers? And then how do we become good followers? How do we become faithful followers? I firmly believe that um, God's spirit is the direct agent in our, be- in our becoming faithful followers, in our becoming more Christ-like. So then it'd be critical to stay in tune with the spirit. How do we stay in step with him? How do we grow sensitive to him so that we sense his nudges and his um, uh, his um, call for us in a given day or even in a given moment. Um, how do we stay that close to him and that attentive to him? And so we unpack a few things um, in the book. And uh, one of them, of course, is being really still and quiet before him. How do we, in our busy world, bombarded with bombarded with all kinds of messages, how do we remain quiet and still before him mm-hmm. to the, know what he is saying? Um, so that stillness and quietness, but also being so connected with God's word because the spirit's move will always be consistent with God's word. How do I then, um, keep central to my heart, the truths from God's word, and then depend on the spirit for that illumination, as well as the empowerment to follow through with actions and behaviors, um, that reflect that truth. Joanne, when it comes to leaders, are they oftentimes the people we most expect to be leaders? I think there's an expectation that we can expect certain people to be leaders. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the most surprising and effective leaders are those that are not necessarily 
self, uh, self designed. Okay. So to speak. Um, but I would say that the, the surprising leaders are, and the best surprising leaders are those that, that were and continue to be good followers. God, you know, it's funny looking at the examples of leaders throughout scripture. Um, there was no one who said, Hey, God, call on me. Uh, I, I got this, right? I got this. Pick hey, me, you know, we're me. raising our hand. Right, right. Pick <laughs> me, pick me. Uh, we don't see that, do we? No, we uh, don't. If anything, we see a reluctance. A dread uh, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's interesting, you know, the surprising leaders that we find even in scripture were not the ones perhaps that, you know, uh, and scripture shows us perhaps the, not the ones that we would have expected. Mm-hmm. Joanne, when you wrote the book with Richard Langer, The Call to Follow, hearing Jesus in a culture obsessed with leadership, who did you have in mind for this book? Because it seems to me that this is a book for everybody. <laughs> Yes. Well, it started with that, um, and I think it comes around to that as well. Um, for a culture obsessed with leadership, um, uh, I would venture to say that just about all of us have attended a leadership conference, a leadership seminar, listened to a leadership podcast, um, read leadership books, or have been given leadership books uh, to read for our own respective um calls and and uh and roles in our marketplaces as as well as in the church the church uh our christian circles still have a, a good number of books on leadership um so i i think that um we we get bombarded with that message mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit okay um, yeah i know we're talking uh to joanne about um not necessarily leadership but following followership so maybe if you would joanne talk about some of the mistaken beliefs about followership. Oh, yes. Um, That's a big well, one. First, yeah. Uh, let me kind of frame what we see in followership, and you'll see this, uh, the exact same characteristics in followership as uh, in uh, faithful following. And that is, uh, first of all, deference. You know, there is a def- this deference that we have uh, that followers um, have toward uh, leaders. There is that difference. But that is um, uh, uh, given in deference to, toward another, toward a leader. But we also see um, engagement. There's an engagement of that follower in a mission, as well as this zeal that comes with that engagement. So, uh, and then finally, just mission ownership um, that that we play a part, but not just playing a part, but we are a part and we own it. And we have that measure of ownership in the mission of an organization, that mission of the church, but certainly um, the mission that we have in God's kingdom. So if I define and frame followership that way, then we can see how some of the um, misunderstandings of of leadership, but uh, more so about followership, uh, can rise from that, uh, in that if you're not a leader, then you're really nobody. Yeah. If the goal is to be a leader, then um, then the default, if you're not a leader, is, oh, well, then you're just a follower. Yeah, and I, I don't buy that for a minute. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and we shouldn't, should we? No, no. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot uh, to that. Um, I'll always be a second-class citizen if I'm not a leader. Mm. And so it appeals, I, I believe, to our um, 
our humanity. Like, I, I don't want to be second best. You know, I want to be the best. So if culture says, if, if uh, people around me say that I need to be a leader, then that's going to be my goal. And so what we see in even the promotions that we obtain in our workplaces as it's one step closer to being a leader and one step further away from being a follower. Mm, so good. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, Joanne, let me take a short break. Um, sure. My guest is Dr. Joanne Jung. Her book is The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. She wrote the book with her colleague, uh, Richard Langer. It's always a good time to show Christ's love to a hurting world through acts of kindness. So you can join our Kindness Always initiative at MyFaithRadio.com. You should check it out. And if you want to receive a daily email featuring a nice scripture graphic, you can sign up for the Verse of the Day email also at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back with more. Welcome back to the show. My, my guest is Dr. Joanne Jung. She's written a book called The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. Joanne, you mentioned uh, right before the break that people who are not leaders may feel that they are falling into a, a default category of feeling like a second-class citizen. And I would love for you to talk, uh, maybe give us some glimpses of the faithful following, what that looks like. Yes, Absolutely. You know, contrary to uh, the default role, default position of a follower, uh, simply because they are not a leader, what we um, want to address in the book is followership as um, as a worthy goal uh, in its own right, as a follower, and not as a default or you know second best. And so, as a faithful follower, you know, how do we cultivate this? sensitivity to God's spirit. How do we, how do we cultivate so that as we are um, faithful followers, that our followership impacts not just the workplace, uh, um, not just the, the marketplace, but it impacts our churches. It impacts our communities. It impacts our relationship and our in relationships in our families. Faithful following really has no boundaries because it comes from this um, deep, intimate relationship with God and his spirit as he leads. And I, I think one of the challenges in faithful following is well, what happens when it's really difficult, when it's hard. Um, and so there's uh, a certain por- uh, part of our book that we go into a number of scenarios uh, taken from the parables. Uh, what does a faithful follower do when, when others tire and it is Uh, hard to, difficult to wait. Uh, What does a faithful follower do when no one watches? Mm, That's a big one. uh, Yeah. And what, what does a faithful follower, what's the approach of a faithful follower when no one trains me? Uh, How about uh, what do faithful followers do when others around them wander? 
And this one is uh, important too. What does a faithful follower do when no one praises me? When we don't get those accolades. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we unpack those scenarios uh, taken from scripture uh, with this lens of uh, faithful following. Um, and, you know, I do have to say, Bill, we're not against leadership. And you opened the program today with that. We need leadership and we need good and strong leadership. And so Rick and I are not anti-leadership at all. We're just pro-followership. I love that, uh, Joanne. You know, that we haven't paid enough attention to this. And uh, following is, is so very important. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that list of things you just shared about what if you're not being recognized? What if you're not being affirmed? What if people have wandered? I mean, these are all conditions that everyone who's listening right now go, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, absolutely. So then what is a faithful follower called to do? Well, in these situations, and again, the the book unpacks each of these um, uh, in greater detail, but you'll see the faithful follower is still held to um, having responsibility, still having the ability to be industrious and to uh, to grow their own competence. Uh, and they all have uh, this sense of moral judgment. And it's not just, um, uh, we're not just passive agents as, as faithful followers, but we're active and uh, still morally um, responsible and uh, needing that to be uh, praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a love-compelled service and a tenacious work ethic. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, it is difficult work to be a faithful follower. And I think um, we need to be reminded of that. I think sometimes we think as following is just an osmo- a process of osmosis, right? It'll mm-hmm. just happen to me. It's nothing that I have to be engaged with. Um, but it demands long hours. And it may have, um, uh, one may have little direction. Um, it may require creativity uh, and dedicated service without praise or acknowledge, uh, acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. It will require courage to follow one's own moral compass in the face of leadership, perhaps, mm-hmm. that seems to have lost its way. Joanne, I think so, you and Richard are really onto something. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we look at, if you look at Amazon, just for example, since 2010, 2010, you'll find 30,000 books on leadership. And if you do the search for followership, only (laughs) 70 show up. (laughs) We all want to be in charge. Yeah, we all all do. You know, and I I sometimes wonder where that, that came from. You know, is it really though something in us, um, our, our our tendency to be really self-centered, you know, started in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to to want to achieve things uh, that the world says we we need to achieve, but really not listening very closely to well, what does God want me to uh, to do today in this uh, at this meeting? Uh, what does He what words does he want me to share in this relationship? So it's it really is Bill, all about following and staying so attentive to him um, in these um, opportunities that we have to strengthen and uh, grow and deepen our followership. Mm-hmm. So, Joanne, maybe you would talk about some of the rewards of following. Oh, you know, as I mentioned before, the rewards are um, 
uh, they are deep and wide in that, um, as I mentioned, the workplace. Our faithful following, following impacts relationships, and those relationships will occur in our offices, in meetings with the CEO or as the CEO. It will be in um, management meetings. Uh, it will be in our church meetings, um, uh, elder boards, ministry meetings, parachurch organizations. Um, and I would say even to, and I, even to, um, our dining room tables. Sorry, I, I mentioned something about the, the conference table and yes. the, and the dining room table. Um, the, there is no difference when it comes to the impact of our faithful following. Mm-hmm. We are still impacting others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love in your book, you cite John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where yes. I am, there will be my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This seems like a very loud and clear call, Joanne. Yes, yes. And then ultimately to hear the words of our Lord, uh, well done, my my good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well done, my good and faithful leader. Uh, <laughs> well, good and faithful full servant. And that is a disciple. That is a follower of Christ. Um, so our book really does want to focus on uh, the need to see followership um as a as a good in its own right, but then how to how to follow well, uh, and we pick up on when it's when it is difficult. So I mentioned a couple of those scenarios, um, but I also like to mention when the going gets tough. Um, I we draw um, something from Psalm twenty three, and I know it's a very familiar psalm. Uh, and it's spoken oftentimes at funerals, uh, but my Old Testament colleague, an Old Testament colleague of mine says, this wasn't meant for people uh, to, to be read at funerals. It's meant to be about people who are very fully alive, but they're being pursued by the enemy and they feel that. And sometimes as a follower, it feels that way. Uh, it feels discouraging and frustrating, and we wonder, I, I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get through this meeting? How am I going to get through this moment with my child? How am I going to get through this day? And in that short psalm, uh, six verses long, um, you can do a syllable counting of the uh, Hebrew syllables from the beginning and then from the end, and you'll come to the center and the psalm will sh- uh, psalmist shows the the critical theme, the main theme of that psalm, and it is it is found in verse four, the B part of verse four, uh, and the psalmist states this: "For you are with me." Mm-hmm. How is it that in the in verse six, uh, the psalmist says, "Yet yeah, uh, essentially it sets the scenario set up that we're being pursued by the enemy, oppressed by the enemy." And yet, um, in verse 6, it is often translated, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But it should be, it should read only, only God's tov and his hesed pursue me. Mm-hmm. Only God's goodness and loving kindness pursue me. And I, I don't know about you, Bill, and, and perhaps some of your, your read, um, your listeners will, uh, uh, relate to this, but there are so many times when I've needed to, step 
back just for a moment to say, you know what? In this situation, only God's goodness and only his loving kindness pursue me. Mm-hmm. It is so encouraging in those difficult times. So I think that um, we need to be reminded that in these difficult times, God encourages that we need to um, be mindful of his mm-hmm. and his mercy yeah. following. Joanne, thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a delight to talk to you again, and congratulations on your book with Richard, The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. My guest is Dr. Joanne Jung. Thank you, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, same back to you. Thank you again. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic, you can sign up for, uh, for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. I think you should do it. I think it's great. And if you want to share your faith radio story, is if faith radio has become a part of your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. You can share how God is using faith radio to encourage you and to help you grow. You can do that also at myfaithradio.com. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.